Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. Hey there, this is Praying Medic. On today's message, we're going to have a question and answer session that was recorded live on Skype with the Adventures in Identity Facebook group hosted by Diana and John Jamerson. In this message, I'm going to answer questions about physical healing, emotional healing, uh, traveling in the spirit, and we even talk a little bit about cooperating with angels. I hope you enjoy this message. I have a question. Okay. Um, so my question is, so my dad is, is doing okay. He's alive, praise God. But in May, he had a heart attack. Three weeks later, they find cancer in him. Immediately, my deliverance, you know, uh, radar goes on. I'm like, this is an attack. And so we're praying, and I was under a fast, and I was ready, and we were praying and attacking. And the PET scan came back clear. However, they think that um, there was some stuff there, so my dad still did chemo and radiation anyways. He was only stage two, so it wasn't as hard of chemo. Right. But um, he just finished about five weeks of it, and he'll have the surgery in a couple, uh, well, at the end of the September. So where I'm at right now with healing, with faith for healing, okay, I know people have gotten healed. I've used your, your books and all the, you know, the Curry Blake, Pete Cabrera, and so forth. You know, I've used all this teaching, and I've seen people at my church healed. I know that this is real, and I know that it is true, but it seems like for cancer, diabetes, and all the big ones, it just something, something's either missing, I'm, or, or maybe none of us have enough faith. Or I, I don't, how do I process this when I know this is true? It didn't manifest for my dad. I'm not doubting God, but I don't have the fire to pray healing for that random person. I mean, I just don't have it. I'm, I'm just trying to process everything. Where, yeah, where do I go from here, basically? I from, come from a slightly different belief system than Pete Cabrera and Curry Blake. I'm just going to throw that out there right away. They tend to teach that it is all about faith, authority, and, uh, and unbelief and renewing your mind to the truth. And those are really the only factors in the equation that they allow in, um, which is fine. They're you know, allowed to teach whatever they want to teach. I have a slightly different revelation about healing. God gave me some revelations specific to cancer. And the issue that, and, and this is what my, uh, my online class gets down to teaching. And I'll give you kind of a brief summary of, of my understanding of power and authority and cancer and how different illnesses and conditions respond to different types of healing. So people in the healing community tend to talk about power and authority, but they never make a distinction over what is power, what is authority, and which conditions do you use power, and which conditions do you use authority, and why. So we're kind of told, you know, you just need to command that tumor to leave, and you need to command this to happen, and command those bones to be healed, and command this and command that, and take authority over stuff, right? Well, that's... That's okay, except it doesn't work all the time. 
And it doesn't actually address the differences between power and authority. They're two completely different things. They have different realities. Power is energy. Power is energy and energy is used to create things that don't exist. Or it is used to create, to bring dead things back to life. Authority is something you exercise and it generally is used to remove something that's not supposed to be there. So it's two completely different dynamics. If you have something in a person's body that isn't supposed to be there, you'd use, you'd exercise authority and command it to leave. You're not using power because power is creative and it creates um, tissues that don't exist or it brings uh, life to dead tissues, okay? Authority is used to command things to leave. So <clears throat> if the person has a tumor, for example, that is not supposed to be there, you're going to exercise authority and you're going to make that tumor leave. Or you could exercise authority and you could speak death to those tissues. You can kill the tumor. That's one way to do it. You can command the tumor to leave. It's another way. There are other ways. But generally speaking, with cancer and tumors, it is an exercise of authority. It has nothing to do with power. You are trying to get rid of something that is not supposed to be there. With something like a bacterial infection or a viral infection, again, it's something that's not supposed to be there. So you command the bacteria to leave. You command the virus to die. You're, command, you're exercising authority and you're killing or destroying or removing something that shouldn't be there. That is authority. Now, with power... Power is used to bring dead things back to life. So I have a lot of, uh, quite a few friends who have uh, neuropathy in their feet. Most of it's due to diabetes, but there are other conditions that cause neuropathy. Your nerves start to die. You don't, you, uh, if you have dead nerves, what those dead nerves need is they need a release of power to bring them back to life. So when I'm praying for somebody for neuropathy, I am releasing power. I'm not exercising authority. If I am praying for someone who needs a new eardrum, uh, a new eye, a new kidney, because the one they have is damaged or it's missing, I'm going to do a creative miracle. Uh, miracles are done with power. So you have to look at your situation and ask yourself, what do I need to do here? Am I removing something that's not supposed to be there, or am I creating something that doesn't exist? Two different dynamics. One is power, one is authority. Now, <clears throat> getting down to cancer. Um, the, this, the success that I've had with cancer almost exclusively is because I've learned how to exercise authority. I don't think I've ever seen anyone healed of cancer using power. It's always authority. And what the Lord showed me years ago and this is not like a silver bullet for, for cancer, but it is something that does work pretty well. Normal, most of the time when I pray for cancer, and I pray for a lot of cancer patients uh, through email and private messages, most of the time when I pray for cancer, if I close my eyes, the Lord shows me a throne. When he shows me a throne, I have learned what, what he's telling me is you need to approach the situation as if you are a king 
All right, you are seated in heavenly places on a throne. That is a place of authority. And you are like a king. And what you need to do is make a decree, like a king would make a decree. You need to decree something that is not as if it will be. All right. So what the Lord has had me do many times is just make a simple decree that and and what I in my mind, in, in my spirit, my spirit is sitting on that throne in heaven. Okay. And I'm not making the decree from earth. I'm making the decree from heaven where I'm seated with Jesus in heaven. My spirit is there and I am making a heavenly decree that that person, when they go to their next appointment, is not going to have cancer. The tumor will be gone. The doctors are going to find nothing on the scans. Uh, it's been surprising how many times when I have, when I obey the Lord and he shows me a throne and I take my place of authority and I make that decree, many times I the person has gotten back to me and said, you're not going to believe it. I went to the doctor and they did a scan and they didn't find the tumor. It's gone. This this is not a, a formula to be to be followed every single time you have someone who has cancer. It is one approach that the Lord has shown me that seems to work pretty well. If he shows me a throne, he is leading me and showing me, this is how I want you to do it this particular time. It doesn't always happen that way. There are other ways in which he has had me pray for people for cancer, but that is the, by far the most common way he has me pray for cancer. For my dad, so how would you say that I pray? I mean, he's pretty much done with chemo, but how would you approach the prayer? I mean, would you still decree, I command in the name of Jesus, cancer go, just like we normally pray? Or okay, yeah, how? so his PET scan came back clean. Yeah, but and, he still did chemo anyways, just in right, case, right. I guess, I don't know. Right. So if his PET scan came back clean and he's done with chemo, what you don't want is you don't want it to come back, right? Right. Okay. And, and I hate to cop out here, but it's not a cop out. This is how I uh, do healing. I ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to pray? Am I going to command and just make a decree that, that this tumor, this kind of cancer will never come back? Do you want me to walk this person through some kind of emotional healing? Is there something else that he, I need to do? You know, Jesus Jesus said the son does nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. And healing, now this is where I disagree with Curry Blake. Curry teaches that healing is a mechanical process, that you simply exercise faith. You have no doubt, no unbelief in your mind. You exercise faith and you... Uh, know your authority, and it's a, it's a simple transaction. It's a process, mechanical process, and it's not relational. It doesn't require you to do anything else. You just simply you either have faith or you don't. And if you do, uh, the, the person will be healed. Well, I, I take exception to that approach because, for me, it always works out best when I, when I look at it as a relationship. I'm always asking the Holy Spirit, how do you want to deal with this particular situation? What is it that we're going to, we're trying to accomplish here? And how do you want me to do it? So sometimes um, he'll tell me, look, the person needs emotional healing. They have this, you know, th these soul wounds that need to be healed. Go for that first. Um, good example. I prayed with a woman one time who had been in multiple car accidents, had horrible chronic neck and back pain, 
had received prayer from a lot of different people, wasn't healed. I got her. Uh, we sat down on a couch, and I was talking to her, and the, the Holy Spirit said, look, she needs emotional healing. So I took her through this process. She had lots and lots of anger and unforgiveness toward her husband, uh, her two ex-husbands, and her father. We took her through the process of emotional healing. I did. And um, she got healed of the anger uh, from her two ex-husbands who were very abusive and her father, who was also abusive. And when we were done, all of her back pain and neck pain was gone. It wasn't, it, her condition was related to emotional trauma. Not, she had had, she had many x-rays after her car accidents and the x-rays were normal. She didn't have any um, structural abnormalities in her back or, or spine. She had emotional trauma that needed to be healed. And if you don't allow for those things, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to show you the different things that a person needs, you're going to, you're never going to have real good success. So I am a big believer in allowing the Holy Spirit to show us specifically in each case, what is the next step we need to, we need to uh, address. I'm sorry. So it's, it's relational. It's like you just uh, talked about, but I'm thinking about what you said. You, uh, Jesus uh, gave you the a picture of the throne and you actually had to go in the spirit and sit in heaven on a throne to make a declaration. Yep. If I was down here and if I saw my wife, you know, and I made a declaration from, you know, inside the bedroom that we're both standing in or something, I've done this before and there's been no results. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around this new approach that I, you just mentioned. Um, number one, I have to be able to see in the spirit. Yep. So I don't think I can make it up to heaven without any sight. You so can. You to, actually can. You, you can. can. Yeah. Uh, not everyone, when, when a person's spirit travels in the spiritual dimension, people don't always see what they're, uh, into the spirit realm. Some people sense the presence of God more with their uh, with their senses of emotion and feelings than more th more so than actual seeing visions. Some people are very acute at hearing in the spirit. They hear an angelic voices. They hear demonic voices. They hear the voice of the Lord. I, I wouldn't say it's limited to seeing in the spirit. Seeing in spirit definitely helps. But many people perceive the spiritual world and the, and the kingdom of heaven through their other spiritual senses. All the physical senses that you have, you, they're also analogous spiritual senses. Some people uh, have a very acute sense of smell in the spirit. They can smell the fragrance of Jesus. They can smell the aroma of angels. They can smell the aroma of demons. So, And the thing is, they can all be exercised and sharpened. If you don't see in the spirit, you can. That I, I wrote a book, um, Seeing in the Spirit Made Simple. And if you just do the exercises that are in the ch at the end of the chapters, you will learn how to see in the spirit. And for some people, it comes along pretty quickly. I have all your books. You have to promise me, though. <laughs> you have to do the exercises. You can't reading reading the books is good, but it's just like it's just like healing. If you don't actually get your chance to pray for people to be healed, you're never going to see anyone healed, right? Well, it's the same right. with it's the same with seeing in the spirit. If you don't spend some time engaging the spiritual world and looking into this into the um, invisible realms, you're never going to see anything. 
You have to actually do the exercises. Thanks, Dave. Yep, no worries. I had a question, David. Thank you so much. Um, well, well, you know, you were talking about um, how you, you know, uh, how you are able to approach authority from the standpoint of uh, what you are shown in the spirit. And um, I would also, I was also wondering if you could add to that your what stand you take to get to that place of unwavering faith. Um, oh gosh, I can talk for two hours on this subject. <laughs> If you let me, um, faith is one of my favorite subjects to teach on because probably it's one of the most misunderstood in the church. A lot of people talk about faith, but very few people actually sit down and describe and, and analyze what is faith? What is it really when you talk about faith? So <clears throat> the Lord gave me an illustration to use to help people understand faith. Imagine if you were standing on the top of a rocky um, ledge and in front of you, there was a gap between the ledge that you were standing on and the next rock that was in front of you. And let's say it was three feet away. The, the gap was three feet. And I asked you, could you jump over to that next rock? Could you jump that gap of three feet? You would probably look at that gap and go, yeah, I can jump that. That's easy. You have a lot of confidence that you could jump a gap that's three feet. Okay. Now, let's imagine that the gap between the rocks was five feet. And I asked you, would you be able to make that distance, that jump? And you would probably not be as confident. You might say, well, I think I can, but I'm not sure. Then let's say that the gap between the rocks was 12 feet. And I said, hey, would you be able to jump from this rock to that one if the gap between them was 12 feet? You would probably not have as much confidence. You would probably not have as much faith that you could make that jump. Faith is really, it is very similar to confidence. It is an evaluation in your mind. How likely is this to actually happen? If I, if I do this, Am I going to be successful? Your, your measure of confidence in whether it's actually going to happen is the measure of faith. Okay? So if you walk up to a stranger in the grocery store who has a frozen shoulder or a torn rotator cuff, and you just casually walk up to them and say, hey, how would you like to be healed? And they say, oh, are you a Christian? And you say, yeah, I am a Christian. I'd like to pray for you. What is your confidence that if you actually lay hands on them, that they're going to be healed? Are you confident? Are you willing to, to tell them, you know, I believe if you let me pray for you, you're going to be healed. That is where you get into this, into the evaluation of how much faith do you actually have? Okay. When you start out in anything supernatural, whether it's prophecy or healing miracles, traveling in the spirit. Everything we do in the kingdom is done by faith. Uh, when you, when you time travel, I've, I've done time travel. And when this, I started to see the numbers on the clock changing, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go with this. I'm going to believe God is doing something, even though I don't understand what he's doing. I'm going to have faith and I'm going to enter into this experience with God. If it's traveling in the spirit, if it's going into the heavens, the courts of heaven, 
where I'm going to find out if somebody has an accusation against them. I do it by faith. I just believe that God wants me to go there and he wants me to find out what is the accusation and get a judgment against this stupid spirit that is tormenting this person. It's all, it's all done by faith. When I go to bed at night and um, I'm hoping that I'm going to have a, an experience or maybe I'll travel in the spirit, I have an expectation and a confidence that God is going to take me somewhere. When I'm praying for somebody who has a frozen shoulder in the grocery store, I have a confident expectation that if I lay hands on them, they're going to be healed because I've done this many, many times. When I first started doing it, I was afraid and I was leery and I didn't have a lot of confidence. I wasn't sure. Uh, I had a lot of doubt and unbelief. Okay. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be removed from here and it'll be cast into the sea, right? All right, faith as a mustard seed. What is mustard seed faith? It is not faith that's as small as a mustard seed. It's faith that acts the way a mustard seed acts. Okay, so you have to understand how does a mustard seed act. You have to go to the parable of the mustard seed to understand what mustard seed faith is. In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is likened to a mustard seed, which, although it is the smallest of seeds, grows into a great tree, so big that the birds of the air come to nest in it. So the secret of mustard seed faith is it starts out small, but it grows. It grows big. When uh, Jesus was asked by the Roman centurion if he could heal the centurion's servant, Jesus said, yes, uh, take me to your servant. And the Roman centurion said, nope, you don't have to come to my house. You're a man under authority. I know how authority works. I say to this man, come, he comes. I say to this man, go, he goes. I understand authority. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. What did Jesus tell the centurion? I have not seen such great faith even in all of Israel. The centurion had great faith. It was big and it was mature. When the disciples could not cast out the spirit from the boy who had epilepsy, Jesus rebuked his disciples. Oh, ye of little faith. Okay, your faith is small. Little, tiny, little faith. He said, if you have faith, you would be able to do this. All right. Jesus rebuked people who had little faith, and he commended people who had large or great faith. And faith grows the more you lay hands on people to be healed, the more miracles you're going to see, the more healing you're going to see, you'll see demons kicked out. As you do this, as you exercise your faith, it grows. Your faith will grow. Your confidence in God will grow. That's what you're doing. You're growing your confidence in God. You'll get to a point where you will walk up to a stranger and say, I have seen 25 people healed in the last three months. I know if I lay my hands on you, you're going to be healed. That confidence is great faith. And that's the kind of faith that does miracles. I've heard it taught before um, of how we should be mindful of our uh, sphere 
our sphere of authority. And I wonder just what you might have to say about that. Is there a place where we have to be mindful of what our sphere of authority might be as believers? Or uh, what would you say? That is an excellent question. That is an excellent question. Okay. So remember in one of the parables, Jesus told at the end of the parable, he told, uh, he said, you have been faithful in a little. Uh, I'll give you authority over five cities. And then he told another servant, you've been faithful in a little. I'll give you authority over 10 cities. In, yes. ser- in several of the parables, well, in the parable of the talents, right? So the Lord gave, this is a very important thing to understand. In the parable of the talents, Jesus said, the master gave to each servant according to their ability. He gave one talent to one servant, two talents to another servant, and five talents to another servant. Why did he give them different amounts, different talents? It was according to their ability because we all have different abilities. So the, the one servant said, I know you're an austere man. And I was afraid because I know you reap where you don't sow, blah, blah, blah. I hid your talent. Here it is. And he said, well, you could have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest. So he took it away from him. He rebuked him and he gave it to the one who had five. So interesting here is Jesus takes away uh, what was given to one and gives it to another. Different people have different levels of authority, different spheres, metrons of authority. I was reading a book by James Gall on dream interpretation. And I was reading this chapter where James Gall was talking about your metron, your sphere of uh, influence and authority. I'd never heard that before. And this was years ago. That night, an angel appeared in my room and told me your sphere of authority, or no, he said your level of authority is increasing. So, Because I was starting to step out in healing and deliverance, God was increasing my level of authority. He was increasing my sphere, my metron. So it is true that we all start out with a relatively small level of authority, but it is also true that as we are faithful, as we exercise our authority faithfully in accordance with the will of God, he increases our authority. Authority is one of the things in the kingdom that is, again, it's relational. Your level of authority is directly proportional to your intimacy with the Lord. The more intimacy you have with God, the more time you spend with God, the more you understand about your calling and your gifting and your assignments And the more you are faithfully following those assignments, he is going to give you more assignments, more authority, greater ability to bring his kingdom into effect in the world. So, again, it's a relational thing. I know people who have large spheres of authority uh, as it pertains to territories, Um, I know people who are apostolic leaders who have great spheres of authority over large um, geographic areas. That comes from faithfully stewarding the authority that God has given them. 
whether it's apostolic or prophetic or whether it's healing, as you are faithful, God gives you more. I think it is good to be mindful of what your authority allows you to do and what it does not allow you to do. I had a vision uh, as I was going to sleep a couple years ago. I saw this eye. It looked like a dra- uh, the eye of a large dragon. And I had my eyes closed, going to sleep. I saw this large dragon eye. And I started to rebuke and try to exercise authority over that thing. I knew it was a demonic entity of some kind. And then I got this, this cold shiver in my body. And I thought, wow, you know what? I think I may be going up against something that's uh, outside of my authority. I don't think I had authority at that time to take on that demonic being. So I closed my mouth and I ignored it and I left it alone. Now I have, I, I have friends who do a lot of spiritual warfare. I don't do a lot of spiritual warfare. Um, thank God it's not my calling. Um, but I think you can get into areas um, of dealing with, especially with principalities where you may very quickly get in over your head and you are outside of your sphere of authority. And some people prefer to believe they have authority over everything. I think that's being cavalier and reckless, and I think it's a really good way to get hammered by the enemy. I try to confine my teaching and my ministry to the things that God has given me, clearly assigned to me as things that are within my, my realm, my sphere of authority. Okay. Okay. In terms of when you pray for people, um, how do you avoid getting soul ties with them? Um, I, I, you seem to have a more heart-centered approach, um, not that others don't, but um, I just get the sense that you, you get more relational with the people or more, I wouldn't say, you come from a very compassionate perspective, I guess, um, is the way I'm seeing it. So how do you avoid getting soul ties with them? <laughs> That's a really good question. When you start out doing ministry to people, um, it is very easy to get drawn into having this emotional, uh, you know, fondness for them. You can even start to have, you know, uh, sexual feelings for somebody that you're ministering to. When you're young in the Lord, when you start out doing ministry, it is it is very easy to get. Uh, drawn into those types of emotions, those feelings of relationships, um, especially if you're not mature, spiritually mature, and especially if you are emotionally wounded. I think people that are subject to soul ties or unhealthy emotional relationships, are they're predisposed to that because they have emotional needs that are not met. Some of that is um, because they have unhealthy relationships. The other part of it is, I think, um, a lot of them probably have emotional wounds that have not been healed. And if you have emotional wounds that haven't been healed, you have um, wounded uh, parts of your soul that will come up and sort of take over um, your personality. And they'll take over your behaviors and thoughts. And many times... A person who is normally in control of their emotions and their thoughts in most situations will have this one strange area of weakness where they do this one certain thing and it's almost like they become a different person. It's like they're 
uh, an irresponsible 11 or 12 year old for a while. And then they kind of come to their senses and they come back to being normal. Well, when you see that kind of behavior, when you see a normal adult, rational person suddenly becoming emotionally involved in, in a, in a situation where they wouldn't normally do that, what you're probably seeing is a soul wound, uh, what we call those altars and fragments that will come up and take over your personality because they're being triggered by a situation that is similar to the one that caused them years ago. And those altars and fragments can take over your personality and they can get you in trouble. They can get you into very bad relationships. They can say things that you really didn't mean to say. They can do things that you didn't mean to do because, and, and it's, we're not talking about multiple personalities essentially, although the same dynamic does cause multiple personalities, but most people have a very um, subtle form uh, of, a, you could call it a, a mental illness if you want to, but it's just, they have these, most of us have these wounded parts of our soul. We call, like I said, altars and fragments, and they cause a lot of confusion and they cause a lot of <laughs> problems. So that's, I think if you're having issues with soul ties, with getting un, un, an unhealthy connection to somebody in ministry, you probably need to first look at getting some emotional healing. Let's see, Alan, Alan asks, are those uh, wounded parts uh, kept in prison by the enemy uh, that Anne, Anna Menendez talks yes. about? Yes, they can be. They can be. And <laughs> if you have not read Anna Menendez Farrell's book, Regions of Captivity, you should read it. It is an eye-opener. It opened my eyes. It red-pilled me big time. And I've, I've read some other books, and I have quite a few friends who deal with people who have emo, uh, emotional trauma. And we are learning about the inner world. Um, it, it, I'll tell you, once you start going down that rabbit hole, it, it gets deep very quickly. But the inner world, I, I call it uh, kind of a, an interdimensional plane where the spiritual world and the, and the soul um, intersect. And you have, it's the, the inner world that Anna Mendes Farrell describes, where there's prisons and dungeons and castles and lakes and parks. This is a real place inside of people who have emotional trauma. And the wounded parts of their soul live there. They hang out there. They experience it. They can describe all these places. And you can identify the personalities of these wounded parts of the soul. When you talk about alters and fragments, alters is a term used for alternate personalities. Alters generally have um, a well-defined personality, likes, dislikes. They usually have names. Um, they have religious beliefs. They're, they're very much a whole personality, but they're different from the core of your personality. And then fragments... Um, tend to be less distinct. They don't always have names. A lot of them don't have names at all. Um, don't have clear preferences. Some of them only have faint memories of things that have happened to you at different times of your life. If you have a lot of amnesia concerning your childhood, uh, the amnesia is generally caused by alters and fragments that are hanging on to those memories of your childhood and if you go through emotional healing, 
many times um, those fragments and altars will come up and they'll have the memories intact of what happened uh, that your conscious mind doesn't have any recollection of. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. And it has become an interest, a subject of great interest to me because most of us who are interested in healing, you run into this wall where you get like 80% of the people that you're praying for get healed. And then you, what do you do with this other 20% that you can't get healed? Well, if you, if you add in um, emotional healing, they're going to see a lot more people healed. Because emotional healing is a contributor to a lot of conditions that people don't uh, realize, especially things like autoimmune conditions. If you're praying for people who have autoimmune conditions and you're not seeing much success, you need to seriously think about learning emotional healing. It will greatly help uh, get people healed. Um, there's another question over in chat. It says, about the occult, how do we learn about the enemy without getting in trouble? <laughs> well, <clears throat> that is another good question. Most of what I know about the occult, I have learned from my friends. Um, I have very little experience with the occult myself. I don't have a lot of personal experience with Freemasonry and witchcraft. Um, it's just not something that the Lord has put on my radar to study. Um, I have friends who are very knowledgeable about that stuff. They can talk for hours about the occult, um, witchcraft, curses, and spells, and things of that nature. Some people, are just their ministry really is kind of centered around the occult, and other people's is not. Um, I have run into people who have had problems with the occult. Um, to be honest, I know that it's not my area of specialization, and I often refer those people out to somebody who has more expertise and knowledge than I do. The, the danger of, uh, of anything that you do in ministry, if you start to get involved in things that the Lord has not called you to do, you run the risk of the enemy using it against you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with learning about witchcraft spells and you know Freemasonry and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't think, relatively speaking, I don't think there's a whole lot of danger other than, other than I will say this, uh, my buddy Steve Harmon has run into some very interesting problems with witchcraft. He's currently doing a lot of high-level warfare against some witch covens. And they have some spells that they use that will essentially turn your own prayers against you. And some of these, I'll just give you an example. Some of these witch, uh, witches will put spells uh, around themselves and incantations where if you are praying against them, their witchcraft spell or curse will land on you and you will suffer dizziness and lightheadedness and nausea. Um, when I, I've, I experienced it. When I first started praying for Steve last year when he was doing this warfare, um, I didn't really know what I was doing from a prayer perspective. So I was just praying, you know, to break these spells off and praying that the witchcraft curses would be broken and all that stuff, you know, what normally people normally pray. I, as soon as I started doing that, I suffered um, dizziness. Every time I would lay down or stand up, I, the room would start spinning. I would just get dizzy. And after, gosh, probably a week and a half, I called Steve. I said, dude, 
what is going on, man? I am just dizzy all the time. And he said, have you been praying for me? And I said, yeah, I started praying for you about 10 days ago. He goes, uh, yeah, how have you been praying for me? And I told him and he goes, yeah. So basically they create created these witchcraft curses where if anyone is praying against them, they'll get this witchcraft curse. And usually it manifests as dizziness or nausea or disorientation. So if you are not well-versed and if you're not under the instruction of somebody who knows what they're doing, you can get hurt. You can have things happen to you that you don't want to have happen to you. That is why I tend to stay away from that stuff because it really isn't something that the Lord has called me to do. If he has called you to do it, great. Learn about it and be careful. But the Lord hasn't really called me to do a whole lot uh, uh, that involves the occult. Um, and like I said, I'm grateful that he hasn't because it's it's not exactly risk-free. Yes, and I appreciate that. I mean, I just it, what's hard for me is we're standing on that promise and no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. We're standing that I have power and authority over you or Luke 10, you know, Luke 9 and Luke 10, the power over the enemy and so forth. And it's just, it's, it's just trying to reconcile those verses with the reality of what we have to deal with. You know what I mean? It's just trying, that's, that's my only thing of like, well, the scripture says I have power and authority over this house. You know, why would I be afraid? But I definitely had some stuff happen in my house. So I did have retaliation back and it kind of, yeah, definitely got real. And it's just frustrating. Like, well, I'm trying to stand on the scripture, but this, this, this garbage is actually happening. So, yeah. Well, there's standing on the scripture and then there's being obedient to what God has asked you to do. <laughs> if, if you are, if you're involved in things that God has not asked you to be involved in, you are walking on the enemy's ground. You are in the enemy's territory. And and standing on the scriptures is not going to help you if you are out of alignment with your heavenly assignment. It's great to, it's great to stand on the word of God. That's great. It's better to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and to do the things he's asked you to do, and to not be involved in the things he has not asked you to do. One of the things that I think a lot of people have trouble with is saying no, or saying I don't know. I get a lot of questions from people about things like um, generational curses and Freemasonry and witchcraft. And generally when people ask me these questions, I just tell them, I don't have any revelation from God on that. And that's it. End of discussion, because that's the truth. It's it, it's just not something God has taught me a whole lot about. He, I, I have had hundreds of dreams about healing over the last eight years. I haven't had one dream or revelation from God about um, generational curses or bloodline curses or any of that stuff. I have friends who can talk about that stuff for days. That's their thing, and they're very good at it, and they're very knowledgeable, and they know what they're doing. I don't. So... When, whenever it comes down to something like that, I realize there is a border. There's a, there is a, um, I am, if I start to get into that stuff, I'm stepping outside my sphere of authority. I have not been authorized to go and do that kind of ministry. And, you know, I could say, well, I'm standing on the word of God. I have authority over, you know, all the powers of darkness. Well, that's fine. But, Authority only extends as far as God has given you authority. 
He's given us authority to do certain things and not other things. I don't teach on a lot of subjects that God has not given me revelation and authority on. I could, if I wanted to, I could exercise my free will and say, I'm going to teach on this subject. But I know what the Lord has authorized me to teach on and what he has not authorized me to teach on. And if it's a subject that he has not authorized me to teach on or do ministry on, I don't go there because I'm not authorized. And your your authority only extends as far as God's has the sphere that God has given you. If you go outside of that, you are outside of your you're outside of your safety zone and you're taking chances that the enemy is not going to come after you. Alan had a question. So, Dave, uh, do we all have the authority to command the warring angels? Do we have the authority to command the warring angels? I would say you can have the authority to do that. All right. So up at the the gathering conference that I was at a couple weeks ago, Mike Parsons was teaching on working with angels. He was flying to Australia. And I'm just going to share this story with you because I love this story. It's one one of my favorite stories. So Mike had an assignment from the Lord to go to, um, I think he was actually going to Auckland, New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken. And he had a flight going to Australia, and then they're going to fly down to New Zealand. And they had a pretty tight time schedule. They only had a one-hour layover uh, between the two flights that he had to take. His initial flight left late. It got out of the gate late, and they had strong headwinds. So they're in the air, and one of the flight attendants comes on the air and says, we have, due to strong headwinds, we're going to be delayed uh, in our flight, and we're not going to be getting in to the gate on time. So Mike is sitting in his seat. He goes, oh, stuff that. That's not going to happen. That's not God's will. All right. God's will is for me to get there on time. All right. So Mike knows a group of angels, an order of angels, and their name is the winds of change. That's what these angels are called. They're the winds of change. So he said, I'm going to tell these angels to change the winds so we have a tailwind and not a headwind. And so we're going to get into the gate early and not late. So he commands these angels. He tells them, reverse the wind direction so that we have a tailwind. So they do it. And uh, about an hour later, the flight attendant comes on and says, well, due to a change of winds, we actually have a tailwind now, and it looks like we're going to get into the gate early. So Mike has learned how to cooperate with these angels because he has a relationship with these angels. He knows them. He knows their assignment. They know his assignment. And Mike also has an understanding of what his assignment is and what is the will of God. So continuing on the story, Mike gets down there to Auckland, New Zealand. He's teaching at this conference. They started late. The worship went late. Everything went late. And by the time they got out of this conference, the security guards had locked the gates and left. And nobody could get out. They were locked inside of this place. So, (laughs) So the first car in line in front of this locked gate belongs to a couple of guys who are not Christians. They just came there because some friends asked them to come there. So Mike had been talking about angels during this um, message, 
And these guys were joking, and they said, hey, Mike, it looks like you're going to have to get your angels up here to get this lock off. <laughs> we're locked inside. So Mike goes, oh, I don't need my angels. Um, I'm just going to unlock it myself. So this is where Mike talks about the reality of quantum physics and how it affects our life. In the in a discussion of quantum physics, there are many possibilities every day that you wake up, everything that you do, every move you make exists on a spectrum of millions of possibilities. Okay. In the world of quantum physics, a possibility does not become reality until it is chosen and observed. Once you choose a possibility and once you observe it, it becomes reality. Until that point, it's only a possibility. So let me give you a quick illustration. If you go into a grocery store and you have a list of groceries and you need to, you go in thinking, I'm going to buy coffee, ketchup, and dish soap. And those are the three things on your list. As soon as you walk into that grocery store, there are about 100,000 possibilities of things you could walk out of that store with, all right? You could pick up any one or any 10 or 20 of 100,000 things in that store. But as you walk up and down the aisles of that store, and as you pick up one thing and not another, the possibilities for any of those things to end up in your basket and end up you paying for them and leaving the store starts to decrease, okay? So as you go down aisle one and aisle two and aisle three and you don't pick up anything from those aisles, those potential possibilities start to collapse and decrease. They're becoming less and less likely to become reality. They're only possibilities and they become less likely as reality. So you go to aisle four, you pick up the coffee, you go to aisle five, you get the dish soap, you go to aisle six, and you pick up the ketchup. And you go to the counter, and it's, when you make it to the counter, the checkout counter, now the number of possibilities of things you're going to leave the store with becomes very, very small. And all of these potential possibilities collapse. They start to collapse, and they become uh, impossible. When you hand over the money to the checkout uh, clerk, and you take your three things and leave the store, all of those hundreds of thousands of possibilities have now become impossible. And the reality is you only left the store with the coffee, the ketchup, and the dish soap. Okay, but up until that point, there were many possibilities. You choose the reality that you live in every single day. You choose the life that you live. It is not chosen for you. Every reality that you live with is because of a deliberate choice that you made out of many possibilities. And quantum physics proves that we choose our own reality. And you can choose a different reality if you want to. Instead of picking up the ketchup, you could have picked up the mustard or the mayo. Or you could have gone back and gotten a pot roast. That was a possibility. But you choose your own reality. Okay? Here's where it gets interesting. So these guys are sitting with a locked gate in front of them, and Mike says, I'm going to choose an alternate reality. 
in my reality, that lock is not locked. That gate is open. Mike walks over and opens the gate, and everybody gets to leave. Because Mike understands that the will of God was not for them to be locked inside all night. That the will of God was for them to get out and all leave. And Mike said, I'm going to align my mind and my will with the will of God. And that gate is going to become unlocked. I'm choosing a different reality. It was, The reality for the everybody else was it was locked. The reality for Mike was it was unlocked. He chose that reality. And he walked over and opened the gate. And everybody left. By choosing the reality that you want to believe, you choose what the outcome of something is going to be. And the critical thing of all of this is you have to understand the will of God. Because Mike knew the will of God. And he decided to align his thinking with the will of God. And when he did, that that possibility became reality and all the other possibilities collapsed. So all that is to say, if you want to partner with angels, you can, but it helps to understand the will of God. And it helps to understand that there are many different types of angels. There are angels of war. There are watcher angels. There are the angels that are the winds of change. There are uh, seraphim and there are all different types of angels. And if you want to partner with them and you want to direct them, do that. But you have to understand the will of God. Everything that we should do in ministry should be done out of relationship with the Lord. It's asking the Lord, what is your will? And then it's partnering with angels or partnering with the Holy Spirit to bring his will to pass. Now that you've talked about quantum physics, uh, do you have a book or a specific author that you would recommend? <laughs> a lot of people like David Van Covering for quantum physics. He has a couple of books on quantum physics. Um, he's a Christian and he's a teacher. I have not read his books and I have, I really don't understand quantum physics as much as, you know, Mike Parsons or Ian Clayton do. Uh, I'm learning. I will probably pick up one of, one of David Van Covering's books soon because I am a little bit interested in learning more about that. But he is the one that a lot of people turn to when they want to understand quantum physics from the kingdom perspective. about like with the angels a lot of times my husband and I will be having a conversation and the exact words that we're using are repeated on TV or it just feels like my eyes are focused on something like all the time I see it everywhere but we've had that happen quite a bit like my dog fell off the bed one day and the TV said good fall buddy that's the name of my dog <laughs> and then it switched back to the channel that we were really watching and it was the same theme song of the show that was on and things like that happen all the time and I just don't really understand what it means or like I'll feel rain in the house on my skin is this angels that are doing these things it could be angels. Uh, all I would say is that God has an incredibly uh, good sense of humor. <laughs> and he, he, he somehow is able to work out these little coincidences or God, God incidences is what a lot of people call them, where you'll have an event happen and then there'll be a newspaper headline or a TV show or a song will come on that perfectly coincides with the event that just happened.
I don't understand if that's angels doing that. I don't really know um, how all that works. I think it's funny as heck when it happens, but what is actually involved in the mechanics of it? I really don't know. Yeah, it's pretty funny when it, ha I mean, this, when it happened with the dog falling off, he was watching the news and the TV changed to married with children, which was really weird. And then he switched it back to the news which she was watching and after they had said goodbye buddy <laughs> and the married with children thing was on the TV on the news station. <laughs> how in the world would that possibly ever happen? I mean, that's it's just amazing how things are synced up. It is amazing and I think it's just for for me, I just look at it as God is giving you a wink. He is winking at you and smiling at you saying, hey, I'm here and I am involved in what is happening here, just in case you weren't aware of it. I think that's all it is. That's cool. I like that. And I was wondering, too, when you were talking about the nerve pain, <clears throat> I've been having really strange nerve pain in my legs and lower back pain <clears throat> to the point where I can barely bend down and pick things up. But I keep commanding it to go, but I keep every day having to struggle with it. Can I tell you a testimony? Sure. I'd love to hear a testimony. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm going to I'm going to preface this with I'm not saying that this is your problem. But okay. but this was my wife's problem. Okay? Okay. All right. She ended up with uh, herniated discs in her back. Um I forget if they were L4, L5, but she had a couple of herniated discs and a bulging disc. We saw the MRIs and she had a lot of uh, lower back pain. It was just excruciating. We prayed, we prayed, we commanded, we declared, we did all the stuff that we know how to do for months, and she wasn't getting any better. She's actually getting worse. And um, she started to wonder if maybe there was a reason why she was actually like this, because it didn't make any sense. We, we, we have a good track record for healing back pain, so why would we not be able to get her healed? So she, her mind started to go into some places that it shouldn't have gone. Okay, that's number one. So one day she was on my website watching this video, which is a testimony of a woman who had survived many different surgeries. She had, uh, she had crushed nerves all over her body from an accident. She had survived, like, gone through 14 different surgeries over their 11 years, and she was no better for all the surgeries. She was in actually worse condition. <clears throat> in one of the surgeries, she went to France, and she died in the operating table. And after she died, she went into heaven. She met Jesus, and he's talking to her. He said, the prayers of the saints have given you a choice. You can either um, stay here with me or you can come back. And then she thought, well, that's an easy call. I'm going to stay here with you. Then she saw her son, and she had a knowing that if she didn't come back, her son would never know the Lord. So she decided to come back. She came back into her body, and she was not healed. Um, sometime after that, she was home, and the Lord told her, I want you to go to the Voice of the Apostles Conference. And she's like, Lord, um, that's really going to be hard. I can't fly on a plane very well. I'm in pain all the time. She had to lay on pillows and cushions whenever she went somewhere because it was the only position where she could be comfortable. So the Lord said, I want you to go to the Voice of the Apostles Conference in Atlanta. So her friend 
drugged her up, put her on the plane, sent her to Atlanta. And she's at this conference, the Voice of the Apostles. And um, she's laying there on these pillows in the back of the room. This guy walks over to her and says, hey, what's wrong with you? And she goes, oh, it's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. The guy goes, no, something's wrong with you. Let me pray over you. So he prays over her. And then he goes into the bathroom and he comes back out. And he says, so how you feel? And she goes, oh, I'm okay. She looks at his name tag and goes, oh, Richard, it's okay. Uh, you know, my life is bearing a lot of fruit and God is doing a lot of good things in my life. And it's okay. You know, he's got a plan. And Richard is, just starts rebuking this lady. He goes, no, God healed me. He healed my wife and he's going to heal you. <laughs> so he basically rebukes this woman for her making excuses why God wasn't going to heal her. He rebukes her for thinking that God had a purpose for her to be, for her to be sick. He tells her she needs to renounce these agreements, renounce these lies, repent of her wrong thinking. So my wife is watching this video and she realizes, wow, I kind of think some of the same things. <laughs> so this woman is being rebuked by this guy, Robert. She goes down in the power of the Holy Spirit and she is on the floor and God is just healing stuff inside of her. And she comes up and realizes, oh my gosh, I'm going to be one of those crazy people that runs around the auditorium. So sure enough, she gets up and she runs around the auditorium. She catches up to Randy Clark and she gives her testimony. So my wife, Denise, is sitting here in this very chair that I'm sitting in right now at this desk, watching this video and realizes, I have believed a lot of the same lies. I need to renounce my agreement. She's like, Lord, I repent for these wrong thoughts. I know you love me. I know you want me healed. I do not believe these lies anymore. And she just kind of got her mind filtered out all the junk and, and changed her thinking about her condition. And then she watched the next video on my website, which was a Sid Roth video where this dude was teaching on activating your spiritual senses. At the end of the video, he says, oh, hey, if you need healing, I'm going to pray for you. Put your hand wherever you need to be healed, and I'm going to pray for you. So she puts her hand on her lower back. This guy says a prayer on a YouTube video, and Denise gets completely healed of all of her back pain. That was three years ago, and she has not. The pain has come back a little bit off and on, but she has realized that she is healed, and she refuses to take it back, and she has remained healed. Now, that is an illustration of one of the problems that people have with healing is you don't understand that sometimes your own thoughts about God and your own thoughts about you can prevent you from receiving what God wants to give you. It was her mind. She, her, her mindset, her thoughts about God prevented her from being healed. And, and this is what James was talking about when he said, do not be double-minded. For anyone who is double-minded should not expect that they'll receive anything from the Lord. Now, what was James talking about? James was saying, if you have double-mindedness toward God, if you think that, well, maybe God is mad at me, or maybe God has a purpose for me to be sick, maybe God is teaching me something, maybe God really doesn't want me healed, or then the next day you think, no, God does want me healed, no, I've seen people healed. God is merciful. And you go back and forth and you have this double-mindedness. What James is saying is if you're double-minded about God, it prevents you from receiving things from the Lord. It prevents you from receiving healing. 
when he wants you to be healed. Because as soon as Denise changed her thinking and became single-minded about God, boom, she was healed like that. So now, like I said, I'm not saying this is your problem, but it is one of many things that we need to work through as we're trying to, you know, determine why isn't this person healed? Well, it's this is one of the things on the list. What is your view of God? Do you really sincerely believe God wants you healed? Or are you wondering, maybe he doesn't want me healed. Maybe he has a purpose for it. Maybe he has something. That mindset can be a hindrance to healing. And I've seen people healed after they got their their mind renewed and their thinking straight. So it's just one of the things to consider. Now Brian had a question about, do you share more about portals? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Portals. <laughs> oh, portals are amazing. Um, and and portals are not as mysterious as people think make them out to be. If you think about what a portal is, um, a portal is an opening between two places. So you could think of it as a window. Now the scriptures talk about the windows of heaven. Right? God opens the windows of heaven and pours out his blessings to the earth through the windows of heaven. The windows of heaven, they're portals. Okay? When the Apostle John was in book of Revelation chapter 4, he said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he says, Behold, I saw a door open in heaven, and a voice like the one that I heard, said, come up here. I will show you things which must take, must take place after these things. Okay? He saw a door open in heaven. It's a portal. A portal is simply an opening between two realms. For, for this purposes of um, traveling in the spirit, portal, a portal is simply an opening between two realms. Some portals, my understanding is that some portals are fixed and some are temporary and we can create them. Um, I say that because I've actually done it. <laughs> now, a lot of people have portals in their homes and they don't know it. Uh, most of you probably have a portal over your bed in your bedroom that goes up into the heavens. Blake Healy talked about that a little bit in his book, The Veil. He would go into people's houses and he would see portals all the time in their homes. Um, I would have people come into my house and sit in my living room. And after about an hour of conversation, they would inevitably come around and ask me, so how long has that portal been there in your living room at the top of, the, top of your ceiling? And I was like, I don't know. You're like the third person who said something about it. I, I, I did not see the portal, but other people have seen it. So portals are, are fairly common. A portal is a is a is an access point between two realms. So different things can come through portals. Angels can come through portals, but they can also come through the atmosphere. Um, gold dust can come through portals. Gemstones can come through portals. Um, I believe that revelation from heaven can come through portals. Uh, God's presence, various things can come into the earth realm through a portal. I believe that when people pray in tongues, 
they open portals. I, I was actually teaching one time a small group of people and somebody asked my wife what she does, you know, like this guy, he's really good at prophecy. This person is really good at healing. This person is a really good evangelist. And someone asked my wife, what do you do? And she's like, I don't really know what I do. And as soon as she said that, the Holy Spirit said, she opens portals. <laughs> I was like, she what? And he goes, what do you think she does when she's praying in tongues? She's opening portals. So my wife, whenever she's praying, she's always praying in tongues. And I, be and I believe that that opens portals through which people get words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Uh, the angelic presence comes through. Signs, miracles, wonders oil, gemstones, gold dust, all that stuff comes through portals. I, I had an interesting experience with a portal uh, a couple of years ago. I was at a hotel and I was at a conference and I had not had a dream in about four or five days. And that's unusual. I usually have dreams about every night or every other night. And I was a little bit concerned, like, why am I not having a dream? So I was laying on the bed in the hotel room and the Holy Spirit said, almost in an audible voice, I heard him say, why don't you speak a portal into existence? And again, I was like, dude, what? That's how I know that I'm hearing from God. I know I'm hearing from God when he says these crazy off the wall things. And I'm like, that definitely is not something that I would have said. I would not have come up with that. So I said, what? He goes, why don't you speak a portal into existence? And I thought, oh, I can do that. Okay. Well, I didn't know. It didn't, it wasn't in the, in the owner's manual. So I spoke a portal into existence between my hotel room and heaven. That night I had a dream. In the dream, I traveled into eternity and I was able to see the way that my friend's prayers were answered 10 and 15 and 20 years in the future. I looked at their prayers and I saw the way that God answered their prayers in the future. Okay. So, what the Lord told me about that experience was, first, I wanted you to speak the portal into existence. Then I was, you, could, you had what you would call a dream, but what you actually did was you traveled through that portal into the heavens, into eternity, and you saw how I answered your friend's dreams. So you speak the portal into existence, and then you go through it, and then you come back. So uh, <laughs> portals... Portals are very interesting. Um, I find it fascinating that you can access eternity through portals. You can access the future and the past through portals that go into eternity. Okay. Candy said, have you ever traveled from one portal to another? Oh, gosh. Kind of like quantum leap, right? That, you mean like in Guardians of the Galaxy 2? where they're doing those hops from one place to another to another. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't, gosh, let me, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me say this. Uh, maybe this will help clear it up. <laughs> uh, when I travel in the spirit, sometimes it's by my own will the exercise of my will, where I travel in the spirit at will. Sometimes it is where the Lord picks me up and moves me places. Okay, so sometimes it's God sovereignly doing it. Sometimes it's me exercising my own will. 
I travel in the spirit a lot when I'm sleeping. So my physical body is asleep. My spirit and soul can go and have fun while I'm sleeping, right? And my spirit likes to travel when I'm sleeping. I often go around and I visit people's houses when I'm, when I'm sleeping. I will wake up in the morning and I'll get a text from a friend. Hey, thanks for coming to visit me last night. <laughs> you must have been bored. You know, you prayed over me. And I'm like, I was sleeping all night. They're like, no, you weren't. You came to my house and you prayed over me. I have, an, a, I'm getting more testimonies from people who have said that they sent me a prayer request by email. And I answered the prayer request. And then they said, when I got the email, I felt your presence or you touched my shoulder or you were here in the room or you were speaking to me or you were doing something. I, I'm getting these confirmations back from people that when I'm just sitting uh, in my kitchen in front of my computer praying for people, many times my spirit is going and traveling to where that person is. And I'm actually imparting or releasing power or kicking out a demon or doing ministry to them in the spirit. Now, the interesting thing is, think about this. When I get um, around to doing my prayer requests, I'll sometimes sit there for two or three hours and just going through one request after another, after another, after another. And I'm praying for all these people. Some of them are in Africa. Some are in Russia. Some are in China. Some are in New York. Some are in South America. So think about me. If I'm just sitting at my computer desk praying for people and somebody in South America feels my hands on their shoulder or they feel this weighty presence of God on them and then I'm praying for somebody in South Africa and they see this shadowy appearance of this guy standing in front of them and then I pray for somebody in China and they are it's the middle of the night for them and in a dream I come and visit them and I kick out a demon you see where I'm going with this our spirit is able to travel at will around to many different places. I often travel into the heavens. Sometimes I go to the earth. I had a dream one night where I was going around to all my different friends' houses, and I was um, delivering eggs to them. <laughs> and I don't know why I was delivering eggs, other than eggs are symbolize um, things that are in infancy, that are being incubated, that are not full full grown. So I was delivering things to people. And this is all my friends. I was going around from house to house doing all this stuff. Is it unreasonable to think that maybe I was going through portals while I did that? I don't know. I don't know if my spirit always goes through a portal when it is um, traveling in the spirit. I suspect that when I go into the heavens, sometimes I'm going through a portal, although I don't normally sense that. I don't normally sense the opening and the closing, uh, the, the hallway, experience of when I'm traveling. Very rarely do I experience that. But I, I suspect that I'm actually going through a lot more portals than, than I'm aware of. Uh, Alan would like to know, how do you speak portals into existence? You speak them into existence. <laughs> it's not hard. Look, the Holy Spirit just said, speak a portal into existence. I was laying there on the bed and I thought, okay, I speak a portal into existence from the bedroom to heavens through which things can travel, right? Because I didn't know what it was going to be for, whether it was dreams or angels or me. I just said, I, sp I just said, 
I speak into existence a portal between my bedroom and heaven. That was it. I was done. And then that night, boom, I went through it. So it's really simple. But again, the same thing like when Mike Parsons commanded the angels, the winds of change, to change the winds, he knew what God's will was. And in this experience where I was speaking a portal into existence, the Holy Spirit told me, speak a portal into existence. So I knew what the will of God was. I just needed to obey. If I had doubt and unbelief about this, it wouldn't have happened. I, never, I wouldn't have spoken it into existence, and it never would have happened. But the Holy Spirit specifically told me, speak a portal into existence. So I did it. Many times when the Lord does something sovereignly, when he takes you someplace in a dream or when you're awake and he, tra and he transports you somewhere in the spirit to do something, he is teaching you a principle. What he does sovereignly, he wants us to do by exercising our own free will. So when the Lord sovereignly heals somebody next to you without you praying for them, sovereign miracle, what he is showing you is, I want you to learn how to do miracles. I'm giving you a taste. I'm giving you an example. I want these people healed. I'm going to heal somebody sovereignly, and now I want you to go lay hands on these people, or I want you to you know, get a word of knowledge or whatever and go heal the rest of them. I'm leading you. I'm showing you what I want you to do. So when the Lord takes you through a portal, he may be teaching you the principle, you can travel through portals. Get your mind wrapped around the fact that you can go through portals, and sometimes you'll need to speak them into existence if they don't exist already. Even if the Holy Spirit didn't tell me like he told you to do it? Well, you know what? It ain't going to hurt to try, is it? <laughs> and look, if nothing happens, nothing happens. But if you, if you speak a portal into existence by faith, exercising your authority, and that thing comes into existence because you are a son of God, and you have that authority, um, that would be kind of cool. I'd like to hear your report back on that. Okay, thank you. Yep. Alan also wanted to know, do you spend a lot of time speaking in tongues? No. Almost none. I, I am the minority report. Um, I would like to be super spiritual and let people know that I pray in tongues more than you all, but I hardly ever speak in tongues. Um, I just, I just don't. I mean, I can. Uh, I used to years ago, but I got into this thing with Denise where we would be praying for people, and I didn't want to freak somebody out in the ambulance, in the hospital, in the nursing home by speaking in a language nobody understood. So I kind of got into this mode where I would pray in English, and if Denise was with me, she would pray in tongues. So, yeah, no, I, I don't pray in tongues very often. Uh, so there you go. And I know a lot of people are going to send me direct messages saying, hey, you should speak in tongues more often. Yeah, I know. I get that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, next question. Sue Yes, I do. David, I, I want to 
tell you thank you, first of all, because um, I read on your blog the seven steps to inner healing. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not sure. But I read that for chance. I came across it. And um, there was this one lady who was struggling through several things I did not know. Um, and I just thought that she needed inner healing. I walked her through those seven steps. And she was delivered instantly, and there were tears rolling, and um, it was just amazing, the transformation that happened right there. I, I don't know if she's actually referring to my article. All the teaching that I have on emotional healing is three steps, not seven. My process for emotional healing is super simple. Whenever you're feeling a negative emotion, whether it's anger, fear, anxiety, guilt, shame, whatever that negative emotion is. The three steps are identify the emotion, okay, after you identify what the emotion is. Um, ask Jesus to take the emotion from you. Ask him to heal the wound in your soul and tell him you receive his healing. And you could probably make it two steps, which is ask him to take the emotion and heal the wound in your soul. Um, if you want to tell him that you receive his healing, that's a third step. That's a bonus. Uh, it works very well. It's very effective. Um, I haven't seen anyone that it doesn't work on. It seems to work on everyone. If you can get a person to engage that process and give the emotion to Jesus and ask him to heal the wound in their soul, it's that simple. Now, it that is not going to take care of severe emotional trauma. It covers the the garden variety emotional trauma that most of us suffer every day. If you have somebody who's been through satanic ritual abuse, it's going to require a lot more than that. But that is the process that I use for 95% of the emotional healing that people need. Next question. Kathy, you had a question? Yeah, Dave, I just wanted to ask um, your gathering conference. Is that eventually going to be available to watch? I know I watched it, I don't know, it was last year or the year before. Yep. Uh, Kathy Tipper, I just want to tell you thank you for being one of my most faithful and loyal Facebook friends ever. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. You are one of the best. Um, yeah, I, 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 I have a lot of friends on Facebook. You are one of the people that keeps, you've been a faithful friend of mine for a long time. So I just wanted to say that. Yes. I know you hooked on Adam. <laughs> oh, really? That's way, way too late watching him. Adam is, Adam is worth listening to, even if you have to catch him the next day because it's too, he's up too late at night. So, yes. He's amazing. I pray for him. Yeah. Well, you know, God is doing some things with Adam. Uh, God is doing some amazing things with all of the people in that circle. Um, he is opening hearts and he's opening minds and he's allowed me a, a place to speak into their lives and teach them about the kingdom. And, I, and I'm teaching those people about healing now. I'm kind of starting with some basic things. I'm teaching a little bit about dreams. And this is that whole group of people that came together uh, and they're, they're really interested in politics but God has allowed me to teach him about the kingdom. So it's really cool. Um, I got to give Adam a copy of my book, Traveling in the Spirit Made Simple. And um, I hope he reads it. He's kind of into quantum physics and that kind of stuff. 
So hopefully he'll he'll uh, get a chance to read it. So yes, the messages from the gathering will be available. They're actually you can order them now. I haven't had a chance to post this on Facebook, but the folks from Northwest Ecclesia who hosted the gathering, they have uh, an order form that you it is you can order the the CDs or the MP3s, and I think they said they're looking at having them available in October. So you can order them now, and then they'll be delivered in October. Um, yes, all of the messages will be available, and I'm telling you, at least get Mike Parsons' messages. <laughs> if you don't get anything else, get Mike Parsons' messages. He, he blew me away. Not just the messages he delivered during the regular sessions, but we were staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning in the lobby of the hotel with Mike, picking his brain and asking him questions. Mike loves to teach. He'll sit there all day long and all night long and teach you as long as you're willing to listen. And he just blew me away with the stuff he was teaching us. Um, I wish we would have recorded everything that Mike said at the question and answer sessions in the morning and the late sessions at night. He shared so much amazing revelation. So, yes, um, I would recommend getting the messages. They're, they're good. much about uh, uh, like dis disembodied human spirits, you know, the, the use of, say, people who are in the occult, um, doing astral projection and coming into other people's bodies. I know that sounds really off topic after what we just went through, but just wondering. Oh, gosh. You have just opened up the big rabbit hole, haven't you? Um, to be honest, uh, I don't know a whole lot about that. I know that Arthur Burke has some good teaching on it. I know Dan Duvall has some teaching on that. I know that Matt Evans has some teaching on that. And actually in the book Broken to Whole, I think Matt has some teaching on, uh, you know, the human spirit and, and how he's, he's run into quite a few of them in his ministry. So if anyone is interested, I, I, don't, I really don't have – a lot of experience, revelation with that sort of thing. Although Dan Duvall, Matt Evans, and um, I'm not sure if Paul Cox has much revelation on that, but I know that Arthur Burke does. You might want to check up on those guys and their websites and, and read what they've written about it. Uh, they, they have more insights than I have. Thanks. Yep. I have a question, David. Yes, go ahead. This is Diana. Hey, Diana. Um, I can. <laughs> Last year, the Lord uh, put on my heart to do a, an online school of the supernatural. I did a lot of research on different programs that can host online video-based classes. And I purchased some software, purchased a, a video camera and some recording equipment, uh, some software to do the editing for the video. And I, I put a lot of time into this online class. And then I chickened out and decided not to do it. <laughs> I just felt overwhelmed. I felt like my comfort zone is really writing books. So I thought, okay, forget about that. I'm just going to write books. And then in, in January, David Licken is a prophetic friend of mine. 
he got in my face and kind of read my mail and said, look, um, what about those classes, those online classes that you were going to be doing? Um, I know that the Lord has put that on your heart. You haven't given up on that, have you? And so he kind of called me out on it. And I thought, okay, no, you're right. I, I really need to think about this again. So I picked it up again and went back to recording the lessons. I, I created some outlines, created some videos, did a lot of editing. And what happened in the process of creating this class is I came up with a very organized, very structured way of approaching divine healing that's based on 14 different lessons on healing and deliverance. I did a bunch of demonstration videos where I demonstrate how to release power, how to exercise authority, how to do emotional healing. And uh, it took me about, well, six months. I, from January through July, I worked on that, putting the videos together, doing the editing. Finally got the, the Divine Healing class finished. Put it all up on the website. <laughs> Tried to make sure I had all the software figured out and then launched the class in July. Uh, the, the response has been really well. People really love the class. They like the way that I explain um, some of the intricacies of healing, like how do you actually release power? And what is the difference between power and authority? And when do you use power? And when do you use authority? And what is emotional healing all about? And what about the courts of heaven? The, the class is a very comprehensive, very broad-based class it's, it's for, like I said, it's 14 lessons. The average video is about 20 minutes, 20, 22 minutes. And it's available through my website, uh, prayingmedic.com. And I do plan to do more classes. I plan to do classes on seeing in the spirit, hearing God's voice, and traveling in the spirit, basing the classes off of my books. I don't follow the books exactly, but I teach on the concepts that are in the books. Um, that's kind of what the what that online class is about. I was just going to ask you about, because you, you have a, like a set payment for a lifetime membership or, you know, whatever, not membership, but I don't, can't think of the word right now, but anyway. Lifetime <laughs> so access. Lifetime, I, yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you if you planned on adding to it and then you answered. So that's really yep. cool. I really appreciate that. I'm very interested and I've been looking at some different schools and so yours is in my radar. Mm. Well, um, it's, did it's. Anybody else want to jump in or did you have anything else to say about it? Yeah, just the class is uh, video-based, but there are also MP3s of all the lessons. So you can download the MP3s and take them with you. And I created outlines, um, which are good for note-taking. If you're a note-taking person, you can print out the outlines. And it's essentially my teaching outline. And you can create notes for yourself during the lessons if you want to do that. And once you purchase the class, you do have lifetime access to it. You can go back and review the videos or listen to the messages as often as you want. And I'm already thinking about adding another lesson onto this healing class. It's, it's a subject I taught on in a, in a conference recently. And I thought, ooh, I should add that to the healing class. I, I, I didn't really think about adding that to the curriculum. So I may add videos as time goes on. All right, y'all, I'm going to jump off of here. I love you. Take care. Have an awesome evening. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. 
You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.